Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you sent him not only to die for us and to rise again, but thank you that you sent him to teach us, teach us to see life as it really is, teach us to walk in a created world with the wisdom of the creator. And so we thank you for the revelation of Jesus. And we pray, God, that you could help us live in the light of it today. We need his help so badly. We need his grace so badly. And we thank you that it is available to us if we'll open ourselves up to receive it. And so this morning, for those of us who might walk in today and feel closed off, maybe they feel anxious or afraid or ashamed, and they feel like they can't access your grace, God, would today be a day of grace received, um, not from me, but through your son and through his teaching. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you're new, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored, and we are in a series called About That Life, and it's a, a series about how to live as a follower of Jesus, and it's rooted in Jesus' teaching in the New Testament in Matthew's chap- Matthew chapter 5 to 7, and a uh, section of scripture often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Plain, and it's when Jesus basically says, hey, here's what it means to follow me. A lot of us may have uh, known people growing up who would have claimed to be Christians and the way that they lived really turned us off to Jesus and to the gospel and to the church. Matter of fact, it might be one of the leading causes of why you wrestle with faith today. Maybe you were wounded or abused or hurt or let down deeply by people who claimed to be something that they weren't. And I'm not talking about like an imperfect, you're striving, but it's hard and it's messy. I'm saying like they, they lived one way and said another thing. And Jesus is saying, no, we, we want to live this out And so today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Um, As I read it, I want to challenge you guys to to, to try to get present. Maybe close your eyes. And let me read this text over you. You can look at it with your own eyes later and read it. But I want you to just remember that that we believe, the church believes that these are the very words of Jesus. God in the flesh. And so I want you to take a second to open your ears and your hearts to say, Father, I receive these words today. And this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wild flowers of the fields as they grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even King Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But instead I tell you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's our scripture reading for this morning. 
And so, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has had some hard-hitting teaching on things like anger and lust and marriage and integrity and giving and fasting. So much of it felt like a challenge to obey. But luckily for us today, um, today's topic is simple. It's easy to deal with. It's just anxiety, right? Don't worry, be happy, right? Just chill. Jesus lives on, right? He lives on island time all the time. Really easy command today. Uh, show of hands, how many of you would say not worrying is super easy for you? I know it's going to be most of the room. Not worrying is super easy for you. Can I, okay. This is confusing. All right. Uh, right. Now, I'm just joking. Um, anxiety is far from a simple topic. Never has a topic felt so relevant to preach on at the same time has felt more intimidating for me to speak to because it just feels so all-encompassing at times in our lives and in our culture. I've been so aware of my own worry and anxiety lately, my own uh, lack of peace lately. I felt my mind racing. I felt my stomach in knots. I felt my body tensing up, and I know I'm not alone here. It seems like there's a lot to be anxious about these days. You might be worried about work. You might be wondering if your company's going to make it or if your role, if, if, you're, if you're meeting uh, demands in, in the workplace. You might be worried about, you know, long-term finances as markets are, are struggling, economies are very uncertain. You might be worried about your health or, or the health of a loved one today. Maybe you're here today and you're single, and, and you're not just single, you're single, and you also have a desire to be married. And you wonder, will that ever happen? Maybe um, you're married, but you desire a child, and, and you struggle with infertility. And you wonder, will that ever happen? And you worry about it. So the, those of us who, who are married might be deeply worried about our marriages. We're aware of our need for, for grace, our need for help, or our parenting, where we can so often feel so weak. Right? We're like, if there's one more thing at bedtime, like one more thing. And on a serious note, in an era of pandemics and school shootings, I know plenty of people are very worried about their kids' safety just in general. Again, our culture doesn't help this. One author writes this. He says, television news broadcasts survive on scares. On local newscasts where producers live by the dictum, if it bleeds, it leads. Crime, war, disaster. I think we could, right, we could add you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Chinese surveillance balloons or whatever make up most of the news on the broadcasts. He adds between 1990 and 1998, well, the nation's murder rate declined by 20%. The number of murder stories on network newscasts increased 600%. And so news is stressful. Um, this is before social media existed, by the way. That's that, 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 that data ended in 1998. Politics are stressful. Every election is the most important election ever, and if the other side wins, we're all going to die. anxiety is all over the place. And, and one way you can define anxiety is, is it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Stuff can feel so uncertain right now. And so as many of you know, anxiety is through the roof. Uh, Gen Z, Generation Z, the one coming of age kind of right now, many of whom are in high school or recently graduated from high school, are statistically the most anxious generation in American history though they have access to the most ease of pretty much any generation in American history. 
anxiety is something uh, I've kind of I've done kind of a deep dive on in recent years. Um, I was part of a cohort on family systems a few years back, and we studied anxiety at length how we um, how we experience anxiety, how we share it with others, the gift that keeps on giving, uh, how we share anxiety with those closest to us, how we receive it. <laughs> the laughs just. <laughs> I don't know why my wife's laughing, you guys. Um, <laughs> in addition to that, I've had several members of my family diagnosed with uh, anxiety disorders. And so um, I've had to look deeply at this topic of anxiety uh, in that time frame. And, uh, and one of the things that I learned in my cohort was that, there's, that there are different types of anxiety. And so the guy let our, t- uh, our cohort, Steve Cuss, uh, he talks about three types of anxiety. And uh, this is kind of the first thing I want to look at before we get into our text, just to give shape to what Jesus is talking about. Because if you don't n- know what type of anxiety he's hitting, his words could feel unhelpful, maybe even cruel, okay? Uh, so, so, so there's three types of anxiety I'm going to look at. There's anxiety disorders, there's acute anxiety, there's chronic anxiety. The first one is a anxiety disorder, okay? This is something like GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. This is often linked to brain chemistry slash trauma, uh, and, um, and, and this is not what Jesus is getting at in our text to say today, okay? Uh, an anxiety disorder is often acute, so it's, it's, it's intense, and it's connected to something that's, that's a perceived threat, not an actual threat, and it disrupts your life. I have a family member as GAD. Um, she cannot fly on airplanes. She'll drive across the country to go places. Uh, again, very disruptive to her life. Um, uh, again, um, if you're curious uh, about uh, anxiety disorders, uh, one uh, clue on if it's an anxiety disorder or not is how it manifests. An article put out by uh, Harvard Medical School says this. It says, how would you know if you've crossed over into the zone of a full-blown anxiety disorder? Uh, anxiety disorders are characterized by severe, persistent worry that is excessive for the situation and extreme avoidance of anxiety-provoking situations. These symptoms cause distress, impair daily functioning, and occur for a significant period. For instance, a person who needs to stay home for work for several days in a row due to panic attacks is likely suffering from an anxiety disorder. So that being said, close quote on that, that being said, if, if you're here today and you're struggling to carry out your daily responsibilities and you aren't sure uh, if that's the worry Jesus is going to urge us away from in this text today, we would strongly encourage you to pursue professional help. Um, uh, if, you, if you're not sure how to do that, uh, again, we have a pastoral care form um, that our, we have a um, staff psychologist who reviews our uh, intake form. She's the only one that sees them initially, uh, and she will work to get you ref- either provide care yourself or get you referred to a specialist to help you. Um, uh, Jesus' teaching, it's not going to harm someone who struggles with anxiety disorder, but, but, but you need more than just that. It's not just a spiritual reality. You have probably some relational relational uh, issues and some mental health issues and some physiological issues that are probably contributing to this thing. So that's anxiety disorders. The second kind of anxiety is called acute anxiety. Acute anxiety. Uh, This is also not what Jesus is getting at in this text. Acute anxiety is actually a gift from God. Acute anxiety is short-lived and it's a real threat. It's not a perceived threat. It's a real threat. It's short-lived, but it's a real threat. Uh, My wife and I, we were hiking Cowles Mountain uh, like two months ago, and we were walking, and there was a snake on the path, okay? Now, it wasn't the biggest snake. <laughs> I'm not a snake guy, though, all right? Like, it's just not me, okay? Uh, what I felt when I saw it, right, it's acute anxiety, right? There's a threat, and, and, and I need to get out of here, okay? So it's short-lived, and typically, um, when it happens, you know, you, you'll feel it in your body. Your stomach will tighten up. Your, you know, heart will start racing. Your mind starts going. Uh, maybe your hands, you know, y- y- 
whatever start sweating um your body goes hey you're in danger and then you and then it causes you to uh course correct to safety it's what you feel when you're about to get in a car accident and you move it's um on on it goes now um um it's a gift from god in that yeah it's uh it keeps us safe in, in other words right so it's what you feel when there's a fire you feel it you go so but it resolves quickly once the real threat's gone that's the idea you feel it you deal with it you go now the third type and again jesus isn't calling us out of that okay the third type though is the kind that jesus is calling us out of in this passage and it's what um uh famous systems calls chronic anxiety or i would say uh, theologically you could just call worry okay worry now, chronic anxiety, it's not, it's, it's not in a moment, it's ongoing. It's kind of always going on. And it's not a real, th- it, a real threat, it's a perceived threat, okay? And it doesn't disrupt your, your life too much externally, like, like an anxiety disorder would. Um, it does see things, it does believe things are threats that aren't really threats in a, in a similar way, um, but it, it might manifest in a less extreme way or a less intense way to those watching, um, but it ravages our souls. So it's not always super visible, but man, it, it really um, ravages our souls. It's often rarely about physical safety, by the way. Um, uh, this is the anxiety that's worried about things like this. Again, perceived threats. What if I never prove my dad wrong and become someone? What if I die poor and alone? What if no one really loves me? What if I'm not perfect? What if my kids grow up and don't follow Jesus or hurt themselves? Right? So again, it's, 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 it's not just the circumstances that are scary and whatever. It's how we interpret the circumstances of our lives and the messages we're carrying that can create this kind of worry. As a pastor, I have this sometimes. Someone misses a gathering. I can sometimes, if I'm in a bad spot, go, oh man, I'm leaving the church. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure they just missed one gathering, you know? Um, I've asked for it, you know, at a party or something. Someone doesn't say hi. I'm like, oh, they hate me, right? Your boss sends an email. Hey, can we meet? You're like, oh, okay, here it goes. And they're just like, oh, I just wanted to see how you're doing and see if I could help you come alongside you as a supervisor. You're like, oh, thought you were going to kill me right here and now. <laughs> thought you had a sword. And it's stuff that, that seems silly, but it stresses us out. No one actually says out loud, I need to be perfect. So do you. But when you believe that lie, it stresses you out, right? Um, what if someone asks me a question I don't know the answer, right? Is that a crisis? It's not, but it can freak us out internally. If you want to look like you, you always have all the answers, if you want to look like you're perfect and you're smart. What if I'm not in control of every situation? What if I can't help every person who needs my help? What if I say no to someone and it makes them mad? This is the type of stuff that can really... Now, again... It might not seem that big of a deal, but you carry this. You, you carry, I need to be perfect for 20 years. That'll kill you, like literally over time. And emotionally and spiritually, it, it will as well. And so what you need to know is that chronic anxiety is the kind of anxiety Jesus is talking about in this passage. He isn't talking about an involuntary response to trauma or a helpful anxiety that gets us to a place of safety when we're in real danger. He's talking about a long-term anxiety that's rooted in unbelief. He's talking about uh, an unbelief that tells us we're all alone in the world and it's up to us to take care of us. And outside of us, there's no one else. 
I mentioned, uh, you know, earlier Gen Z, uh, how a lot, how they're the most anxious generation statistically. By the way, if you're a member of Gen Z and you're here, I'm not picking on you. Uh, you might have beaten the odds. You might wrestle with it. Whatever it is, it's just st statistically, um, are more prone to anxiety, uh, clinical anxiety. Um, they're being raised in an environment real fast where they're actually told you have to create your own world and worldview. So Adam and Eve in uh, the garden, right? They go, hey, we need to like, we need to be like God. And what's that? Deciding what right and wrong is. Deciding what's true about the world. Creating a reality, okay? Um, we have a generation now growing up that's actively encouraged to not believe in God or make God into their own image. Uh, pretty much every Disney movie now says parents are stupid, right? So don't receive wisdom from people above you. Create your own wisdom. Create your own framework. Reject your culture. Re reject your parents. Uh, reject your faith. Kind of do your own thing. That's a lot to carry for a kid who just wants people to like them. Uh, pick your own gender. Pick your own values and morality. Become everything. That, that, that ideology communicates you are alone in this world, and it is on you to figure out life. You have to figure out every. Nothing's handed down to you. You can just receive the security that comes from a received framework, from a reality that there's someone in control that's not you, is debilitating. But again, ever since the fall, this isn't just a Gen Z problem. This is a human problem. They're explicitly saying it now. Hey, pick whatever you want you know, to make true. Um, but we all implicitly believe that we need to take care of ourselves and take matters into our own hands ever since the fall. Because we forget who we are and whose we are. We forget who we are and whose we are. We forget that we're not alone, that we're loved by the king of the universe who's going to take care of us. And when we forget that stuff, man, we are in a posture that leads to chronic anxiety, that leads to worry. These ongoing th perceived threats where everything feels like a threat, even if it isn't. We almost, uh, uh, like at Halloween, you know, like Frightmare, Frightmare on Market Street, you guys remember that? Or like, there's, you know, like an adult haunted house, it's like really scary, guy with a chainsaw, fake blood everywhere. Um, it, we kind of walk around, like, it's like, I'm not actually in danger, but I'm just terrified. Everything's, everything's uh, a threat to my identity, to my life, to my relationships, to my security, on, on it goes. So again, this is the anxiety Jesus is dealing with in this passage. How do we deal with our anxiety? And that leads to my outline today. Just two big questions I want to answer. Number one, what are unhelpful ways to deal with anxiety? Again, the, the type we're talking about. And then two, how can we experience increasing freedom from anxiety? What are unhelpful ways to deal with anxiety? Number two, how can we experience increasing freedom from anxiety? So number one, what are some unhelpful ways to attempt to deal with our anxiety? Uh, denial, right? Uh, denial. Um, so this awful thing happens to us, and we just kind of pretend, like, I'm okay, Right? I remember Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, Oakley Doakley neighbor, right? Someone I love deeply, just diagnosed with cancer. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm good. Too blessed to be stressed, right? I, there's a guy at a church I used to go to, and I, I remember I, I knew he was going through a hard time, and I, again, beautiful guy, couldn't deal with hard stuff, and I was like, Harry, how are you doing? He's like, or he said, uh, hallelujah. I was like, that's not an emotion uh, or an update on your, your life. That's not peace. That's religious denial. What some people call spiritual bypassing. When we use our faith to keep ourselves from acknowledging what's happening to us. To avoid the pain or confusion or uncertainty of our, 
emotional or relational lives. Uh, some of us uh, use God talk to help us deny. Some of us use uh, addictions like substances or alcohol or pornography or shopping or whatever it is. It's like you go to this thing to make you feel better because you don't want to feel what you're feeling. But that's not true freedom from anxiety, even if it, uh, it makes, helps you, av- even if it helps you avoid anxious feelings for a while, it is not freedom from anxiety. Uh, the other thing that freedom from anxiety isn't, uh, you know, isn't a helpful uh, approach is apathy. Because you go, oh man, don't worry, be happy. Just don't care about anything. You don't get stressed out about anything. And that's not what Jesus is getting at. Freedom from anxiety isn't, I don't care about anything. We should care about a lot. Followers of Jesus should care a lot about other people and the lives God given us, and, and stewarding our calling well, and the resources he's given us. We should care a lot. He's not saying, look at the birds, they don't care. He's not saying birds are lazy animals. Uh, they're not. They work really hard. If you ever watch birds, they get, they're moving constantly. Getting some seed going, some grass. If you watch a hummingbird, man, like their, their shoulder muscles must be out of control. You know, like, what's the word? To scale, right? To scale, right? Ants, you know, whatever. Um, I'm talking birds, not ants, sorry. Proverbs, ants. Birds don't hang out in their nests, just kind of singing, you know, Maverick City worship songs, waiting for seeds, berries, and bugs to fall out of the sky like manna. It's not what they're doing. They go looking for food. They have wings so they can go fly and go look for sustenance. Jesus isn't arguing against hard work. He's arguing against worry. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If God takes care of the birds that you can buy with your pocket change, surely he cares about you, a human being made in his image, worthy of love, dignity, and respect. If you're in Jesus, redeemed by him. So it's not apathy. It's not denial. It's also not foolish carelessness. Foolish carelessness. Um, it's important to note, like, Jesus is saying, hey, don't, again, don't care about anything. Just do whatever you want to do in the moment. This isn't like Jesus' YOLO speech. One author writes this, thought this was helpful. He says, I want to distinguish between caution and worry. Despite their similarity, worry is not the same thing as being cautious or careful. We should be concerned about many things, locking doors, managing our money wisely, driving carefully on slippery roads. This is not the same as worry. Worry is what we do after we have planned, prepared, and acted properly. When we continue to stew about something, we've crossed into the world of worry. How would you distinguish between worry and being careful or cautious? Worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Read that again. Worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Concern, caution, and care are all acceptable and even necessary. But worry is what happens when we go beyond these and fear what we can't control. In other words, living a life of, of, of peace, a life of freedom from anxiety, it's not just uh, reckless living. It's not just wasteful, foolish living. And T. Wright says this. He says, so when Jesus tells us not to worry about what to eat or drink or wear, he doesn't mean that these things don't matter. He doesn't mean that we should prefer, as some teachers have suggested, to eat and drink as little as possible. Amen. And to wear the most ragged and disreputable clothes just to show that we despise such things. Far from it. Jesus liked a party as much as anyone. And when he died, the soldiers so admired his tunic that they threw dice for it rather than tearing it up. But the point was again priorities. Put the world first 
and you'll find it gets moth-eaten in your hands. Put God first, and you'll get the world thrown in. So those are unhelpful ways to attempt to deal with chronic anxiety or worry, which leads to my second question I want to answer. How can we experience increasing freedom from anxiety? How can we experience increasing freedom from anxiety? We see a bunch of clues in this text. Um, the, uh, the first one is this. We need to realize, okay? We need to admit that we're anxious. If denial doesn't help us with anxiety, like I mentioned earlier, then honest realization or awareness of our anxiety can be incredibly helpful. And you can do this in a couple of different ways. Um, you can do this through your body. Uh, oftentimes Christians can have kind of a Gnostic view of the body, like spirit's good and our body's bad. Um, most of the time when the Bible says flesh in the New Testament, it's not talking about your physical body. It's talking about the sinful part of you. Okay. Um, your, your body again is good. It's given to you by God. You'll have a body in the new heavens and the new earth. It's been impacted by the fall, but your body's good. We're embodied souls. Your soul and your body are sacred. And that means that your body speaks to your soul and your soul, your soul speaks to your body. That's why when you're really ang anxious, you can get really physically sick. And it's also why when you're really wrestling with something physically, it could impact your um, spiritual, emotional, relational life. But our body gives us clues as to what we might be anxious about. Um, now, here's the thing. I thought this was really helpful. Um, your body doesn't know the difference between an anxiety disorder, acute anxiety, and chronic anxiety. Isn't that wild? So your stomach might tense up in the same way when you see a snake and when you get a text from a friend that says, can we get coffee? And you're like, what does that mean? Right? You have the same like, ooh. Um, in our cohort, we, we talked about three main ways our bo humans' bodies tend to, to let us know we're anxious. Usually one of them is kind of like your go-to. You might have two, uh, usually all three, it's not usually all three. Uh, but the first one is a tightening stomach or shoulders. Like you actually, you feel it, you know, in you. Um, uh, another one is a racing heart. You feel like you just, you know, you crush three cold brews in 10 minutes when that, you start getting worried about what something might mean. Or a spinning mind. You move into like, what am I going to do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Right. Uh, can I Google spreadsheet in your head? And so you want to, you, you can do this through your body. Um, you can also realize through your emotions, not just the, the emotion of anxiety, but, um, but man, what are you mad about? If you're honest with yourself, what are you sad about? Often uh, we're mad because we're worried someone's going to get in the way of or take blank from you. And oftentimes we're sad because we're worried about losing blank or we have lost blank. But again, for this, these purposes, we're worried about losing it. It's anxiety. So, so you can do this through your body, you can do this through your emotions. Um, you can do this through your conversation topics. Do the same people, places, or things keep coming up? Um, this happens a lot in therapy when you sit with a therapist. A lot of what they're doing is, is figuring out what you keep talking about when you first start to check in to figure out what's going on with you, what you're worried about, what you value. And it, when that happens, we can start to ask ourselves, um, what is it about the circumstance that makes us most anxious? Because, again, it's often not just the circumstance. It's what we believe about the circumstance. There's being worried about being fired, and then there's worried about being fired because your mom will be right. Or the coach who always said you'd amount to nothing would be right. Or whatever it is. Um, number two, we need, to, we need to realize we also need to repent. 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 Um, 
Repent in the New Testament is a Greek word, me, uh, metanoia, means uh, change of mind. And so um, it's like you're turning from one thing, like to turn from one thing to another. And often we're anxious because of misplaced worship. We're, 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 um, we're worshiping something other than Jesus. Something, um, we're looking at something for comfort, approval, significance, security, or happiness. The Bible calls this, an old school word, the Bible calls this idolatry. Again, you might be thinking, Andy, it's 2022. People aren't worshiping statues and idols. Uh, that's very, um, uh, what? What did I say, 2022? Oh, yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, Clive. You really got me. My son, dude, just brought the heat. Um, I was say it's very Western-centric of you. Um, people do still worship at statues. Um, but either way... The heart posture of looking to something other than God is, is alive and well. Um, idols always pointed to something else anyways. Even in ancient Greece and Rome. Success, money, power, romance. It hasn't changed a lot. A uh, friend of the program, Tim Keller, defines an idol this way. He says an idol is a functional savior. Why do we lie or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful, and we are. But the specific answer is that there is something besides Jesus Christ that we feel must have to be, that we feel we must have to have to be happy, something that is more important to our heart than God, something that that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires. One of the keys to change and even to self understanding is therefore to, identi- to identify the idols of the heart. Now, Steve Cuss says this about uh, idols. He says idols are not immediately easy to identify in your life. But one sure way to begin is to pay attention to when you are anxious, feeling threatened, or needing something in order to be satisfied or settled. Uh, One way you know something is an idol is that you sacrifice time and power to get it. You can also spend some time looking at what you daydream about, what your nightmare scenario is, and what you repeatedly worry about. The common thread of an idol is, I need it to be okay. So when you find yourself anxious or deeply unsettled, it may be because you are not getting what you think you need to be okay. Uh, often we start worshiping our idols when we're young. Uh, these things we turn to that, that, that numb the pain, that take away our shame, that make us feel better, but over time those idols turn on us and they start to take way more than they give. Jesus is the only God who gives more than he takes, always. Again, Jesus alludes to this in our text uh, Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, any time in the Bible it says, therefore, you always want to ask the question, you know, what's the therefore, therefore? You want to look at what, what precedes whatever is said in this text. And in verse 24, the verse before verse 25, Jesus comments on this idea of idolatry. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The teaching on idolatry. Jesus knows that, that, that what we'll worry about most is connected to what we give our lives to. So when it's time to discuss worry, he starts with a big one, money. Again, I talked about this last week. It's, it's the big one. But a bunch of the other ones fall underneath. 
And so Jesus says, you know, some people look to money for their security. They hoard and save way more than they'll ever need. Some people, um, uh, again, I mentioned this, they, they buy stuff uh, they don't need to impress people they don't like with money they don't have, that whole thing. They buy stuff to look cool or to be accepted or desired, or, or they, they buy it, or, or they use money for security. Either way, Jesus says, you don't need to do that. You don't, need, you don't worship what they worship, so you don't need to live like they lived. You shouldn't be. He's like, look at these, right? They look better than the richest man in the world, Solomon, with all his fine clothing. Your significance and worth come from God, not what you own, Jesus is getting at. So an idol is something you think you need. And again, it could be money, but it could be other things. It could be amazing clothes, a dope trip, a certain amount of money in the account by a certain time. It could be the last word in every argument. Tough need to have. Tough need to have. Um, it could be a spouse who always understands you. It could be kids who always obey you. It could be to accomplish a certain goal by a certain time. But when you live for that as the end-all, be-all, you can end up in idolatry pretty quick. Again, it's not bad to have goals, but a goal and a need are two different things. You don't have to achieve all your financial goals by a certain age. Again, most of the world's financial goals now and in the history of the world was eat today. And we live in, we have more money than they did, and we're anxious about it. Now, here's the last thing I want to say on this, is we don't just need to repent and turn away from the idol. We want to turn to something, and that's the Father, Jesus describes in this passage, which leads to th the last thing that's helpful, helpful way to fight anxiety. It's to remember. It's to remember. This is to remember who God is and our relationship to him. In other words, we need to remember who we are and whose we are. Jesus says, you have a father who will always provide what you need. So often our idols, the things we think we need, cause us to worry. But we also worry when we take on an over-responsibility and we seek to be God because we're not. When we seek to control things we ought not to control, we get stressed out about them. We become out of control trying to control the thing. We begin to think that our worrying can change the future when we, when we begin to believe we are God. Again, we can forget that, that he is good, that he is God, and he is good. Again, I'll read this text again. Verse 26, just imagine this was true for a second. I know you're like, it's, it is, it's the Bible, I know, but just like, like you really believed it. How would this impact your day-to-day? -day? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Real quick, do you believe you're valuable to God? Do you believe the Father values you, that he delights in you, that he cares about you? You've got to be able to answer that question. So much of this teaching flows from that idea. Do you know whose you are? If you don't believe that, by the way, I would love to pray for you before you leave today. We get in some of our, our grossest, most sinful, weird spaces, anxious spaces, and we don't believe that we're the beloved of Jesus, that we're the delight of the Father, that we're the home of the Holy Spirit, that we're valuable. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much, much more for you? What if this was like true? Like you remembered it and you believed it. This is one, by the way, when Jesus lays all this out, this is one big remember fest. It's like, do you know who God is? Like, I know I'm not downplaying. I'm not, I'm not dismissing your worry. Like it's real. But, but, but just real quick, your circumstances are real. But, but, but remember who you are and whose you are. You have a father who cares about you more than you care about yourself. And he's not like a dad who's going to abandon you. He's present and he's rich. He's the king of the universe. He has what you need and he loves to give you what you need. He says, how much more will he provide for you? That's how much more idea gets picked up by Paul later in the New Testament. Romans 5.10 says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And he picks it up later on in Romans. Romans 8.32, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? everything. In other words, if you can trust Jesus with your salvation, you can trust him with your finances and your relationships. Like he didn't, he didn't save you just to ruin your life. He didn't bring us out of Egypt just to have us die in the wilderness. He didn't save you from Satan, sin, and death to have you get crushed by finances or your relationship. Like he cares about you. He is for you. Again, we need to remember who we are and whose we are. Again, uh, really helpful in the series, James Bryan Smith. He says, I ask two questions of people going through the Apprentice series. Who are you and where are you? I repeat these questions often because repetition is one of the keys to learning. I'm looking for these responses. I'm a child of God, one in whom Jesus dwells, and I'm living in the unshakable kingdom of God. When a person grasps those two realities, many of the problems that plague him or her begin to diminish. This is certainly true of worry. We live in the unshakable kingdom of God so that even when we are tested, we never fail. This is why I'm confident that our world is perfectly safe. Safe, you must be thinking. You're kidding. This world is scary and dangerous. That is true if you are on the throne of your life, living outside of the kingdom of God. Inside the kingdom of God, we are in no danger. No danger? You could get cancer, hit by a bus, lose your job, or lose a loved one in a heartbeat. Let me say clearly, none of these things can harm those who live in the kingdom. If we die, we step into glory. If we lose a job, we get to learn how to trust God for something better. If we lose a loved one, we, we can be certain that the pain will go away soon. As long as we live in fellowship with our good and beautiful God and his mighty kingdom, we have nothing to fear, not even fear itself. For nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ. When we know this to be true, we can let go of worry and begin living with confidence and joy. So we need to remember who we are and whose we are and where we are. And this is why, actually, this is the last thing I want to hit, but this is why I think a daily devotional life is so important. It's not about learning more Bible information. 
It's a time of remembering what is true. It's a, it's a soul reset for the day. Like before I go out there, I have to come back in line with the reality of the kingdom. The reality, you are God and I am not. I am not in control, you are, and that's good news. You sent Jesus for me so I can trust you. You are going to take care of me. And then, and then you go, you know what? In light of all that truth, Father, here are the things I'm worried about. I trust you with them. Just for today. I'll be back tomorrow, but for today, I want to trust these things with you. Matthew 6, 34, the end of the passage, Jesus says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. I'm going to call Mar up uh, right now. We'll close Go into a time of worship and communion. Before we do that, I wanted to put a helpful exercise in front of you all, and we'll email it out this week as well. When you feel anxious, sometimes uh, we are anxious about a lot, and we can feel paralyzed. Like, I don't know where to begin. Like, I've had times where, like, I, I, I've been, when I write, when I get on paper everything I'm anxious about, it's pretty broad. It's like future economy <laughs> of California, uh, of America, whatever, uh, my kids, uh, health issues, uh, a deadline I might admit, like, like it's all over the place. The house is dirty, whatever it is, like big to small. But a helpful exercise is, is to actually just go, okay, what am I anxious about right now? And getting it all on paper, like write it out, literally take some time and go, Father, help me know what is everything that's on my heart? What am I worried about? Ask the Spirit to help you. And the first couple times you do this, you might end up with like two to three pages, and you carry that all the time. But, but get that on a paper. And then the second thing you want to do, you're like, great, now I just can see everything I'm stressed out about. It's a book I don't want to read, okay? What you can do then is, is just next to each item, you're, you're going to write one more thing. And you're going to write down whose responsibility this thing is, okay? If it's you, write you. And that's something you can pray about and then work on, okay? Um, right? Uh, if it's like, man, our budget's not working out, our, our finances are out of control, um, you can pray about that. You also need to make a budget, okay? So there's a you component. And once you get started on it, it'll really help you. Um, if it's someone else, right? Someone else's issue or situation, or you're like too involved or whatever it is, it's like you can talk to them or pray for them or both, but that's it. You do it. You know, okay, I need to talk to them or I need to pray for them. And then lastly, there are big picture things or things in other people's lives, like I just mentioned, like you can't, you can't control them. You can't make them do so people you're concerned about, stuff that's going on in their life, you just, God, you pray about them, right? Even people you have responsibility for, like my kids. I invest in my kids every day. I meet with Clive every morning. I invest in them, but I can't, you know, I can't control the outcomes. What's going to happen in his life in 20 years or Calvin's life or Olivia's life, right? So, so I have to also just bring them to God in prayer. Um, uh, you know, with work stuff, I, I have stuff I work on and there's stuff I get worried about. Hey, is this going to work out? I do my part and then I have to, I have to, Trust him with the outcome. And so I bring it to him in prayer. And so again, you just list everything, and then you write God, me, someone else. And then someone else is kind of someone else slash God. You then pray about it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says this, and it's really an exercise to help you do that. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. By the way, you have to do this regularly, like I just mentioned, because tomorrow's going to have trouble too. Daily, we need to go, okay, this came up. I now have something I need your help with.
So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll go into communion and worship. Father, I um, am so aware of the reality of anxiety in my heart and in my life and worry. And um, I know that's, that's in this room, that that's here, that that's real. And I know I've talked a lot this morning, but I pray that you would take these words, these ideas rooted in scripture, the stuff that you want them to have, that you would you'd bear these truths down deep into our hearts, that we'd be a people who remember who we are and whose we are and where we are because of Jesus. Lord, help us to, to, to live out of that reality, the daily reminders, the daily um, soaking in truth, the daily reminder that if I'm in Christ, I really am going to be okay, even if it gets hard out here. I'm going to be okay. Heartbreak might come. Betrayal might come. Famine might come. Mental health challenges might come. Whatever it is, I'm going to be okay because I live in the kingdom of God and no one can take that away from me. And that's true of everyone in this room, that we'd believe those things deeply. So thank you for that truth, Jesus. Help us to be free of worry and chronic anxiety. Not in denial, not numbing, not pretending, not taking on more than we should, but living like you really are God and you really do love us. And the greatest example of that love is your cross and resurrection. We thank Jesus for that. This is it, we pray. Amen.